0: everyone uh thanks for tuning in this is talking pit with pit sports performance um this is aaron Duval. i am hosting today's episode and personally you know when i think of the mount rushmore of uh, the pioneers of of industry and progressive thinking you know we got we got our steve jobs are, are Jeff Bezos uh, and you know Ruben Birch is putting himself on the map man and we're fortunate today to be to be talking to my guy here so Ruben welcome to the podcast and thanks for talking with
1: me today man. And thanks a lot Aaron and don't, don't lie to these people from the start if there's like a like a mini Mount Rushmore where there's like a bunch of really small heads at the base of the mountain then, then maybe but but I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> no, man.
1: All, all tens of our listeners
0: by the end of this are going to be like, you know what? Aaron's right. He's on to something. This this guy, he knows a thing or two. Um, well, so I don't want well, to let you spoil, down then. <laughs> I don't want to spoil any secrets or take away your thunder. Uh, you know, Rubens, obviously, you've got a, a really unique uh, background and current role. So I'll just you're, I'm not going to do it justice by describing what you do so um, if you just kind of want to enlighten everybody of like what your your current role is um, even a little bit of like historical role and like kind of what got you to your point now and that'll I think help give some context and background to kind of some of
1: the more main pieces that we'll talk about here. Sure well again thanks for having me always a great uh, great to catch up with you so I, I appreciate this chance to chat but so my, my name is Reuben Birch. I'm the Associate Vice President for Research at Mississippi State University. So uh, I'm also the person that started our athlete engineering program. And we have a few other initiatives going on. There's one called Aim Up. It's the Advancements in Manufacturing Upskilling Program, which is actually a spin out of athlete engineering. Um, so that's a whole nother conversation. But uh, for from a background perspective, uh, I'm my degrees are in computer engineering and industrial and systems engineering. And I actually spent about 14 or 15 years in industry before I came to academia. And so I had a chance to work on everything from uh, weapon systems with the Navy, uh, satellite systems with NASA. I was a software configuration manager and enterprise architect for large financial systems, uh, where I think most people who who know my work uh, probably would follow me from the FedEx side. So I was at FedEx Express and my job was to help invent the current generation of the, of the ruggedized handheld for couriers. And we also started their first autonomous vehicle research program. So a lot of people are surprised when, when I give my background and I don't have a background in human performance. I was fortunate enough to play uh, sports at the collegiate level but at the end of the day, I've always been an engineer and my job has always been research and development. So I've got about 21 years in doing requirements gathering and inventing stuff that solves problems. So that's actually what my background and skill set is in.
0: Awesome, man. Um, I mean, just to give you, uh, I mean, some some grief. I mean, that was a lot of words just to say that, you know, how big of a nerd you are. But hey, that you, you bring up. <laughs>
1: You bring a lot of IQ points to this conversation here. Um, so, I've broken a lot of things and you reach a point in your life when you've broken enough that people want to ask you how you're them. So I think that's probably <laughs> what I bring most to the table, but you're right. I am a nerd, which means, and, and no professor can answer a simple question in less than 20 minutes. So you know how that works. <laughs> no, so um, I mean, yeah, just to, to Ruben's point
0: though, uh, really, I think, Diverse background from like uh, the the slew of guests that we've had on this podcast, um, and even like people like in our world. I think the the practitioners that like you know people like me like talk to on a day to day basis um, are we're all pretty familiar uh, or have pretty cliche and familiar backgrounds relative to one another. But uh, kind of the I think. The skill set that you bring to the table and the initiatives that you push, which I know we'll get into in a minute um, of kind of the stuff that, you know, I know you and I have collaborated on and other projects that you've done um, is really what kind of draws a lot of interest and um, has garnered a lot of success on your end, too. So, um, yeah, I I will gladly uh, nerd out with you every opportunity I get. So
1: um, let me let me tell everybody about your engineering moment and I'll, I'll never forget. And so uh, t- just to talk about how multidisciplinary you are, Aaron, so we were, I think we we're out on the dock fishing, and we were talking about uh, wearable tech, and other, and uh, like data science, and those types of things, and and you, you made the comment, like, I feel like I want to reverse engineer this, and you paused, and you're like, I'm sorry, is it acceptable for me to say reverse engineer this, and I, like, yes, absolutely, it's, very acceptable <laughs> yeah i didn't know if that was like like cuss words in like the, <laughs> the professional
0: realm of like actual engineering or if like strength coaches just have like bastardized that term on their own and like smarter people like you were like oh okay strength coach
1: to, to date out, out of meeting like many of the strength conditioning coaches across the country you were the, you were the only one that's ever said reverse engineer this and so oh perfect it holds a special place in, in my memory <laughs> well I
0: definitely stole it from someone else so I can't take credit but um well kind of moving into like you know going into like kind of how I guess not only you and I but like just you have partnered yourself um uh with the like athlete side of things as well um something uh at least from my perspective i know it's kind of flourished on your end has been this uh you know athlete engineering uh movement initiative uh program now um can you give some context as to you know like how do you define athlete engineering and really how has that evolved uh into the program
1: it is now at mississippi state in particular Sure. Uh, And like I mentioned before we started recording, so this this week I was at an Air Force pilot human performance conference, and we've got a lot of really strong contacts and and friends in in that network. And, And I was being introduced by someone in the Air Force to someone else in the Air Force. And they're like, oh man, athlete engineering. It's like if you were to combine and merge human factors into human performance, that's what athlete engineering is. I'm like, oh, You know, if you ask me that question, it takes me like ten minutes to answer. So I'm just going to steal that one because I think that that's really the heart and soul of of what it is we do. And you know, and Aaron, you were there for pretty much the whole initial part of the journey. So where we got started was we were funded from National Science Foundation to build wearable technology based on all the interviews we did around the country with strength conditioning coaches about their perception of wearables. So we wanted to become a wearable research group. Because at the time, we didn't feel there were many that actually were outside of kinesiology. I think kinesiology is a great place to have a wearable research team, but I think it's really valuable to to blend that with all your different flavors of engineering and even fashion design and textiles, right? Because you still have, someone has to want to wear it. And so we started as a wearable design research team, and then we found quickly that we became a wearable validation research team through a lot of our work that we did with with you and coach mock and 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 everybody over in athletics but what we've kind of evolved to just in the last 18 months to two years is it, it almost doesn't matter who's building it or what it is you have an adoption and implementation problem as you're trying to roll out this human performance technology so i would say human factors have become ever more important if we expect to be able to take some, it doesn't matter what the human performance technology solution is. If we expect to put it on people and have them wear it and create data that means something that can be actionable versus just buying a whole bunch of stuff and hoping we collect data that tells us something. So, so through our work, whether it's the sports athlete, the industrial athlete, or the tactical athlete, that kind of has become the common thread uh, across all of those. So that's a little bit about how we got started in, in the, evolved to, to where we are now it's it's definitely been an evolution no yeah for, that's that's awesome man i
0: know i was fortunate to be in the 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 period of it that that i was and i know conversations that we've had and kind of how it's continued to grow i mean you guys have like a, a pretty like like sizable like staff and group regarding
1: that program now right we do Um, we, it was January, 2017 was when we got our first ever funding. It was $2,500 to start a working group. Uh, and, uh, so we found 15 interested people across campus between athletics and academics. So, so, and I, I mean, we were an idea, but since then we easily have 50 people, uh, every semester, uh, whether they're students or faculty or coaches, or even people outside of MSU who are critical partners. And and they could be, again, uh, you know, Columbus Air Force Base is right down the road. You've got uh, community colleges that kind of represent that industrial athlete. We've got friends in the governor's office that really help us out, help us understand kind of the workforce training element. So, you know, there's easily 50 of us any given semester. And in the lab itself, you know, we may have uh, 10 people pretty regularly helping out with with studies, you know, whether they're full-time research engineers or PhD students or undergraduate students or faculty.
0: Yeah, so what does that, that lab look like now? Because I know um, it, it it's, I guess, for lack of better words, formalized a little bit more here recently within the last, uh, you know, year or two. And um, what the, like, what kind of projects um, are, I know, like, starting off it was very geared towards, like, the, the wearable tech uh, and, and things associated with that, like, is it still kind of primarily surrounding that? Like, what kind of projects or research are you guys doing with that lab? What does
1: that look like? The, the research in the lab has evolved some from what you've seen it, especially in the new lab. Uh, we were we had a lab space over in the Center for Advanced Vehicular Systems. Uh, we now have our own separate lab. So we're kind of our own entity now. And it's about three times the size. Uh, we have multiple motion capture solutions. We have the Markered motion capture, the, the markerless motion capture. We have kind of R and D maker spaces for electrical and computer engineering. So like soldering, electrical work, 3d printing, uh, we incorporated all of the textile te- testing equipment. So, you know, everything from sewing to abrasion testing, to, uh, you know, saltwater testing to you know recreate the effects of sweat. So, so we have it's truly an interdisciplinary lab now. We we had multiple lab spaces; they were all spread out, and we we now have a space that's big enough that that brought it all back together. Um, we we've started partnering a lot more with with one of our other centers, the Raspit Flight Lab. So they do a lot with drone research. So we're looking at you know portable markerless motion capture type solutions for military. Uh, based on their interest. But one thing that we've we've added is we won some grants and we now have a grail system which will allow us to do clinical work. So we have fully instrumented treadmills and slip trip fall harness for various perturbations and a virtual reality surround so we can put them in any virtual environment while we study that, you know, lower body closed kinetic chain. Um, so it's it's finally a space where all the different disciplines have the equipment they need to do their part. So, it, any type of research that goes on in there is largely going to be focused on building and designing new wearables, validation of existing wearables, or we have some industry partner work coming up where we're going to get equipment from the industrial facility and stage it in the lab, so we can now look at muscular skeletal disorder, repetition type work, so we can do it in the lab, and then go into the field with the markerless system and do you know do. Delta comparisons there. But a lot of the work nowadays has been outside of the lab. Uh, we've 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 picked up a lot of industry partners uh, who are very interested in um, everything from heat injury mitigation to again kind of that repetitive motion task to just generally changing the culture so that they can figure out how to get their employees to want to a- adopt a technology. That could provide information that helps us mitigate those injuries. Um, and then any work we do with a uh, military base, obviously, we do that on site at their base. So we've got some graduate students that we've kind of tried to position out there uh, to, to work, whether it's pilots or, or whatever. Um, let's see, and, and still doing stuff with the sports teams, like, like always. They're, they're, we actually have our own strength coach and he, he's our primary liaison between, uh, the, the academic side and the athletic side. And, uh, he, he's been a great help. So. No, that's, that's awesome, man. You, you guys, like
0: one thing I've always been impressed with, with you and, um, again, the athletic engineering program, I mean, you just listed off, um, like going through like sort of like fabric or textile research, talking with military personnel, um, industrial partners, going over, um, you know, relevant issues in the, you know, industry workforce and stuff. And um, you have, you do have such like an interdisciplinary team, it sounds like that, like, whether it's operating out of that lab, or just in general, that you uh, either partner with, um, or that you do have in house, um, you know, it's doing a lot of Really, more like high-level stuff. Um, you know, very, very niche uh, topics and in areas of research, but doing them really, really well. Um, and you know, I I think one of at least from an outside point looking in, like one of the reasons I feel like it's gotten to the point of where it is is just, uh, you know, you and and your team's ability to. To really kind of foster the relationships of like all those different interdisciplinary parties. Um, I mean, again, you're you're talking military personnel, um, the academic side. You're talking the the strength coaches there on campus. Like, how like do you have a strategy or like what's what's your process about like going about kind of establishing and fostering those those relationships
1: with all those different like interdisciplinary parties. I think it's two things. Um, the The great thing about being in academia is you you can generally assume a lot of people in that space enjoy solving complex problems. So there, there's generally an, an interest by all people to do something that matters. Um, everybody on my team came from some other background other than academia. You know, they already had a background in or at least a lot of hands-on experience with industry, military, or or sports, or even medical. And so they understand the value of uh, you have to have a sense of urgency. Uh, Can't everything be a 10-year science project? There's room for those, right? I mean, those are valuable. But if you had a problem yesterday, waiting 10 years probably isn't feasible. And so kind of having that sense of urgency mindset. Uh, And then the other thing I think just comes from over two decades of R&D Experience and the main thing that I think any good R and D professional remembers is that you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. So that that ear to mouth ratio is critical when you're gathering requirements. So uh, you know we do requirements gathering sessions all the time, uh, and it's being able to see through. Sometimes people are just they want a wearable or a piece of technology, and they don't really care what data they're going to get. They just want to throw it out there and and they'd be willing to, to pay you handsomely for it. So being the person that slows them down and says, you know what? It could be you, you only need a, a no technical solution. Like you don't need, you don't need to spend a lot of money to reach that low hanging fruit. Why don't we sit down and talk about what your primary issues are first. And then the things you're talking about are symptoms. I want to help you get to what the actual problem is. And so when you when you sit down and you have those discussions and you listen, all of a sudden you learn how to speak the language of the customer. So everybody has their own set of acronyms. Everybody has their own like language style. And people are going to be more apt to bring you in to help them if they believe you know where they're coming from, right? So listening and empathy go a long way, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you talk about like, I mean, again,
0: a lot of the people or different types of personnel that you're mentioning and like a lot of the things that they have in common are those, uh, the aspects, like the sense of urgency and wanting to get things done. And the fact that like, we all have like certain problems or issues too. And whether we realize it or not, like whether it's the industrial athlete or the tactical athlete or, a, you know, collegiate athlete, like a lot of us are sharing the same genre of problems and. Sounds like you're kind of like you've you've done a really good job of being the catalyst to helping all different parties kind of navigate those problems. Um, what what are you? What do you think are like maybe some of the, um, I, and I know I can think of a couple on my end for my time at Mississippi State. But what are a couple different problems that you think, um, like you and your team have like helped solve? Like what has been like some of the the bigger success stories that come out of it and Um, why do you think uh, uh, some of those success stories were successful? Like, um, was it the, you know, just the people involved with it? Was it the resources you were able to garner for those problems or for that research? Um, You know, what what are some things that come to mind there?
1: Well, I think, I mean, the biggest success was being able to create a wearable research program at a school that didn't have any wearable research while building a partnership that has stood the test of time between athletics and academics and getting everybody on all sides bought in on why it's important and making it really like a, a core service of the university. So I think being able to come in and, and build something completely new that didn't exist before. It's hard. It's hard to build something new. And then what's even harder is sustaining it. Uh it wasn't a one and done, or we didn't just do it for a few years and then it ran out of steam. We, you know, it keeps building steam and we keep finding partners and we keep finding ways to help people. So so creating something new that helps people is, is I don't know that's kind of a generic answer there, but getting to that point where where people see us as a helpful service is nice. And then the biggest product of it all, though, is we have a student pipeline uh, where students come out and they themselves are interdisciplinary. They, they may It doesn't matter what the gr- their degree is in. It could be some flavor of engineering or kinesiology or, or fashion design, but they all leave with an understanding of how to run a study. They leave with an understanding of human performance, of human factors. Uh, engineers, for the first time, probably learned how valuable fashion design was right tell me anywhere else where an engineer is going to go around and brag about how they know about fashion design I haven't run into that right uh we we have engineers that can sound like to some degree kinesiologists oh strength coaches that'll sound like engineers that's probably the biggest one never heard right? of them <laughs> <laughs> we we were doing uh we, we had an on-site visit with both Keesler and Columbus Air Force bases they were doing uh, some of their executive leadership training up here and they wanted to go over. This is a few years ago. They wanted to see all the sports facilities because you know, why wouldn't you uh, if you don't normally get to see how that sausage is made. Right. And so we were in there with the basketball strength coach at the time, and he wanted to give them a presentation on the cognitive aspect of training. And so he he went through a PowerPoint slide and uh, the, uh, the wing commander leaned over and they're like, where do you find these strength coaches that have engineering degrees and I'm like <laughs> 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 oh yeah but <laughs> for, nice. for the record he didn't have an engineering degree, but you wouldn't have known uh based on how effectively he was communicating cognitive engineering concepts so so i may I may have to hang my hat on that one and we're gonna have to send this podcast over to Georgia where he is currently to so that he can yeah. so that everybody can know uh what his <laughs> skill sets are so but there you go, man.
0: No, that that's great. And I backtracking a little bit, I, I love the way that you kind of describe like um one of the successes uh of the program is essentially like being a a, a core service like of the university itself. Um from I think both an in, in athletic and academic standpoint. Um, you know, when we I think there are a lot of a lot of schools that um uh, many schools that want to say that like they do a good job, uh, with, um, you know, partnering, uh, their, their campus side and the, the academic side with the athletic side, whether that's through collaboration, actual, um, you know, projects, uh, funding grants, um, just general relationships. And, um, you know, I, obviously you and, and you guys are doing it really well. Um, putting you a little bit on the spot here, but like, what do you think like for the schools that, or like, uh, programs that may not have that yet, but have that desire of like, you know, that, that willingness to collaborate or, or build those partnerships, um, between, uh, the athletic academic side, like what advice would you give? Like either like the athletic side, uh, the people like me, the strength coaches, or like, the engineers on campus or the professors, what kind of uh, advice would you give them on like
1: how to foster that uh, collaboration? I think it's two main things. Uh, the first one really is as simple as finding the right people. And, you know, every, everybody says that, but wh- what do I mean by right people? Well, it, I have to find someone who's going to be like a cultural evangelist, like an advocate who is going to fight through the dark times that when things, when the relationship doesn't look like it's going anywhere or it's going backwards, or it doesn't look like it's working, they're going to have to make, they're going to have to take their, you know, time out of their personal schedule or cough up some of their budget, or they're going to have to give something. It's, it's usually it hurts before it works, I guess. Uh, and, And if you have the right people to slug it out through the hard times, then you know you're going to have something special. And so that's why it, it almost doesn't even matter what their technical skill set is. Sometimes it's more a matter of what is their professional skill set and then just making sure you have those people on both sides of the fence, on the academic and the athletic side. And, and this is something our team has learned the hard way. It, it, again, it, whatever that degree says, you know, that's good and all, but that doesn't really define you as what you're going to ultimately bring to the table. Uh, Someone who can go in there and have a wonderful conversation with someone in athletics or any of the other sectors and really make the person they're talking to feel valued and make that person comfortable to share what their needs are. Ultimately, academics has to fully understand what athletic needs are and vice versa. And there has to be a willingness to give on both sides. But the only way someone's even going to bother giving is if you feel like you're giving it to someone who's worth giving it to. So that's what I mean by the people. Um, Let's see. And I said a second one. Hold on. I'm having a senior moment. (laughs) People. uh, Oh, I remember. Uh, Key performance indicators. Everybody has to know what everybody else's KPIs are. So you can usually make assumptions that you know what a coach's KPIs are. Uh, For you, it's not necessarily wins right? It's health and safety of the student athletes. It's mentally healthy students. It's students who are excited to compete and capable of competing. And ultimately you get judged in wins and losses probably based on how your career goes. But in in terms of why you got into the field in the first place, you specifically, right? I mean, you care about people and you're trying to give them the best quality of life, both in competition and after, right? So, so most people can generally understand or assess what the KPIs are on the athletic side. The athletic side often does not know what the KPIs are for the people on the academic side. So, uh, and, and while I think we all care about doing right by the student, the, the people on the professor side get judged based on things like uh, publications, bringing in grant funding, graduating graduate students, uh, creating new content for classrooms, uh, you know, things that contribute to the body of knowledge uh, on the academic side. So if, if you have coaches that say, uh, I'm going to go reach out and find faculty, and obviously they're going to want to work with us, but you don't understand what the faculty need and require to get, to keep their job basically. Because if you don't meet tenure, then you've lost your job. And you don't meet tenure if you don't hit those KPIs. Now, it, you, you still have to find the right faculty who's not selfish, who isn't going to treat your student-athletes like a lab experiment. All those characteristics are still really important. But here's why it's important. You either have one person on one side has to care enough to give a both to give enough for both sides, or you have to find one person on either side willing to give a little bit. And that means being able to learn how to talk to each other early on. Because I remember watching your facial expression when you would meet new engineers and new engineering students for the first time. And you're looking at me like, what the hell did they just say? And, and, (laughs) you know, like a a general self-awareness that they're going to need to come and talk to you in a manner that means something to you. But you also probably had to learn how to talk to the academic side in a way that academics could understand what your needs were. Yeah, it's definitely a give and take.
0: And, you know, I, I maybe in the field of athletics or, you know, especially like the power five level, like we get caught up in like, just uh, kind of our, our immediate responsibility. And like, it's, it's easy to look at anything uh, that, I don't know, that's different to be like oh this is a roadblock or uh, a detour and or just extra steps for me like I don't have time for that um when at the end of the day and I saw it and I went through it um with with those students you know where it's like is if you have that willingness to you know be a little more give and take um like at the end of the project or the end of the day like the the reward is is going to be a lot greater I mean um I know one of the the kind of subsets of of the program or maybe subcommittee of it we'll call it was the report automation group Mm -hmm. and yeah it's like stuff like that where um I know from my experience just to speak like to your point there is like you know I I may be talking with uh you know an engineering student uh or you know computer science or whatever it may be and you know, I, I have my crummy Excel sheets that I'm spending 15 minutes on every day uh, to try to spit out a practice report. But at least I understand what's on there and, you know, what what the wearable data is and, uh, like, how how I want to visualize it and relay and communicate it to, like, coaching staff. And when I have, you know, a student come in that has no idea of any of that latter part, um, but, you know, I'll be damned if, if they can't, like, put something together and make my life a lot easier once I can help them understand like, well, this is what this means. This is why we, you know, want to talk about this or why we want to emphasize this just to give them a lens into like our scope of practice. Then like after a while, like it, it ends up paying dividends and, you know, both time and relationships. And I think both parties can, can get a good win out of that. Um, So you know I, I i can definitely agree to as as someone that has seen the the benefit of uh that that partnership between athletics and academics and we have it right now at Pitt too and we have a a, a great setup um and i don't want to go off on a tangent and talk more about that but like uh the, again just generally speaking i know the benefits that you can reap for that are are, are great
1: so um, you know, there's a there's an industry term i think it's co-mentoring so uh like when you and i work together or me and any other coach again i don't have a background in human performance i've come to know it pretty well over the years now but i'm still i will never be a strength coach and i should never be no one should ever come to me for strength coach advice ever that, let that be the first warning for anyone i don't know man i've seen you way. in the weight room i don't know about that <laughs> well lifting it and is one thing, but putting a plan together for someone else to lift something's totally different. But, but, you know, uh, you know, just think back to all the conversations we've had, you know, as you're telling me things, I'm learning from you. And as I'm telling your stuff, you're, you're learning from me. And, th- and the same is true. Some of the best mentor-mentee relationships was when a strength coach would take on uh, a mentorship role of an engineering student. I mean, that is, that's the type of like Hallmark movie material right there, you know, where, where everybody wins and and there's a happy ending and those students go on to have, you know, phenomenal career options. And then on top of that, the strength coach ends up j- just a completely different student. Right. So you end up with a different perspective. You're more connected to the rest of campus. You know, it, it, everything you do suddenly means a lot more because you're already helping student athletes and, and now you've expanded into the, the academic side. So it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, it's great, man. Um, we'll take, go off on a little bit of a tangent,
0: um, you know, as you've created a lot of those relationships, um, you've created a lot of opportunities, you know, for, for you and for, uh, the, the program, uh, and for, for other people, like, uh, are there, are there any like, you know, big projects right now, uh, on your plate that you're really excited about or willing to share about that you think are kind of big things up and coming for the future of both Ruben
1: Birch and athlete engineering? Okay. We have, we were funded by DOD manufacturing to work with shipbuilders, right? So the companies that make naval war vessels and our job is to work with them to define and prototype a heat mitigation wearable. And so that the, when you're out on the coast, any coast, and your job is to be like they call it being in the hot box where the, you're you're the welder and you're putting together the the sheet metal that will eventually become the structure of the ship and you know it's 100 degrees with 100% humidity and you're sitting in that inside that thing basically using a flame torch uh it can get pretty hot and so heat injury risk is huge and so we're uh we've been tasked to put together a technology solution that would help alert to potential issues. But again, here's why I like to think we're different. I could go and just gather requirements on how to build a wearable, which may or may not work within three years. Again, you have a meet, you have heat mitigation injuries today, waiting three years for a prototype at the speed of the government probably isn't very helpful. It's more helpful than doing nothing, but there's going to be those low hanging non-technical solutions of things we can do. That focus may be more on hydration and nutrition, rest and recovery, uh, creating, you know, cool down environments that lower that core body temperature, maybe even looking at rescheduling. If you're in the hot box for so long, you come out after a while. So everyone loves the sexy technology solution. And you know what? That's what sometimes brings in the funding. But we're not going to overlook those low tech solutions that we can also be recommending Uh, Another one is uh, we've got some partnerships going on with other like more automotive uh, manufacturing companies. And we're, we're looking at uh, designing wearables that would help us uh, track if the assembler workers are ambidextrous. So a lot of assembly plants are uh, very strategically try to teach their employees to use both arms equally because, so think about it, right? If you're, you know, and, and you, you train these athletes, think about a, a baseball or a softball pitcher. If you only ever focused on the pitching arm and you did nothing for the other side of the body, I really would hate to look at that uh, muscular skeletal structure after years of, of not trying to even out that workload or, or, or acknowledge the fact they have another arm, right? Well, there's, there's a similar workers that go their entire career and never use their non-dominant arm. And so just, you know, think about that. You're pushing a rivet gun and and all you ever do is use your dominant arm. So that, what that means is most of the injuries they see are, are strains like overuse injuries from the dominant side and also strains because of the, when they do have to use their non-dominant arm, you know, they may t- have to twist and contort their body and, and then they get a non-dominant arm or non-dominant side of the body strain. So we're working with some wearable companies now to try to d- design a sensor suite that can help us assess symmetry during the training phase and mm-hmm. even out on the line so we can make sure I, I don't I don't know if there's a world where every assembler worker is wearing a wearable all the time but we at least have to do something that collects the data to assess what good and successful looks like kind of create that baseline right you know you're you and coach mock were the one that taught me all about the return to phases well those return to phases, are pretty much identical for a uh, industrial athlete who goes out on family leave and so it, it's kind of the same the same thing so that project the goal there is to kind of get to what we would call smart ppe uh ppe's personal protective equipment right so like safety vest hard hat steel toe boots uh welder leathers uh something like that so incorporating some of these technology solutions in into that so those are some pretty big ones uh, going on um I'd mentioned the, the air force pilot human performance stuff. There's a huge resurgence in human performance across all the military and, and there's no place where it's more prevalent in the pilot training side. So, uh, we we've got a chance to be kind of frontline and center in, in what that looks like from helping them with the human performance. In fact, you were involved in a lot of those conversations initially when we first started. Oh yeah. I remember learning all the, uh,
0: the pilot names that I thought they were joking when they introduced themselves. And then I was like, Oh
1: no, that's you, act. you go by that. All right. Got it. Good to meet (laughs) you. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Some of them have really cool call signs. Some of them, you know, I would want to redo on my call sign, but right. (laughs) That's part of the culture.
0: That's cool, man. Um, do you think like, uh, when it comes to like maybe like the, the smart PPE or, um, if, if you were to get more, uh, like, and i like, I love the low tech option, uh, with like the shipbuilding example. Um, but if, if they wanted the, the more high tech option, like, do you think like EMG is really where a lot of this is trending towards as far as the, the data acquisition side, or, um, is it, do you think it'll go beyond that or what's kind of, I guess, the primary avenue for a lot of the,
1: that research and data acquisition? Sometimes uh, it's any data at all because no one presently has any in terms of what does a work day look like from a data perspective. Like we, we have assumptions about how much they walk, how much they bend, how much they reach above their head. But we don't we don't actually know. A lot of times when you shadow a worker, the, the employer will tell you to shadow like their rock star and so well well the, the rock star is great for a reason and so that's not really giving me a good data set because not every obviously everyone's not the rock star you know and so so creating rock star numbers and then expecting everyone to to work to those numbers isn't it's not going to be healthy or safe for some of them especially the new people uh, that just started so i think the 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 initial phase is regardless of what we roll out whether it's surface emg or any of those types of things how do we make a technology selection that gives us the information we need based on the problem set we have, and the people will actually want to wear it and will consistently wear it? And you've heard me harp so many times on the equipment issue room management. How do we, how do we minimize the work on the worker and the person who has to hand out the equipment? Like I'm, I'm sure, like when we were up to like five different technologies for basketball, like, like, I, you know. They're like, oh great, Ruben's here yet again with with another free set of wearable technology. I, I I sure am happy to build that also into my day as I get to distribute this to all the all the student athletes. Right, so it's the same challenge with the industry, but now, right, what, one of our employers in the state has twenty thousand employees, so we're we're complaining about fifteen basketball players. How you know twenty thousand? So think, think order of magnitude, right? So if I have an equipment issue room window and everyone's required to come up to the window to check out their wearable and that line backs up for 30 minutes, well, guess what? And and it's 30 minutes back up to, to pick it up and to drop it off. I just paid 20,000 employees for an hour each day, every shift to do nothing. So if I'm paying them, you know, 20,000 times 15 times two times 365 is what I just cost the company. By trying to roll out a wearable solution. So I just got I just got super expensive and I probably just got fired. So yeah. I, I know that a different direction from what you asked, but that's the those little things are what matter and why it almost matters more than what the actual wearable tech is. To to your question about the surface EMG stuff, that is data that I would absolutely love to have. We'd be able to tell so much about just the basic biomechanics of work regardless of the task we tried to do a study where uh you know there's some products out there that are kind of that surface emg that's embedded into your uniform and we did a study with with a manufacturing plant and these were lower body right so basically underwear and the the hurdles that we are normally a challenge we were able to get get past it quickly like they were excited to use this we were able to get them many pairs of many units per person so they didn't have to take it home and wash it every night. Uh, but, but then we ran into problems that were as basic as they're in a large metal structure surrounded by metal working on metal. (laughs) Right. And, And the device felt the need to constantly push the data to the network, which means the battery lasted for like 30 minutes because it can never could reach a signal. We got no data. And whenever we did, whenever we were lucky enough to get data, the the company felt it was necessary that the user pair their personal phone with the device. So that means we had to go to each employee to see would they be willing to share their data. And you immediately get into questions of, well, is this medical data? What if you don't like what you see? Are you going to fire me? Right. So we had buy in and interest with a sensor type that we would love to have on the lower body, which is great. So we could look at lower back injury in a place that is known to have lower back injury. And we couldn't get off the ground because we're in a metal structure and, and the company didn't have a team-based app and they didn't have store and forward technology where it just goes and dumps when you, you put the puck back in the device and the charger. So, so again, perfect in our mind, a perfect solution solution a perfect sensor, one that we'd validated against laboratory gold standards to 93% and trusted it. And we couldn't get off the ground for basic, you know, simple reasons. Yeah.
0: I know that's frustrating. And I know, um, I also know you and and the rest of your team though, are the people that are going to figure that stuff out too. So, um, you you guys just keep talking with all the factory people and and figure it out and see where uh again we're we're going to look at that 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 same mount rushmore and then you're going to be the the head the, the big president on that when it comes to the the workforce either injury mitigation or workforce workflow optimization
1: um and i, I know you'll figure it out man well, somebody's gonna figure it out, so it might as well be us, right? So there you go. <laughs> we've already come this far.
0: <laughs> yeah, keep rolling, man. Well, uh, Ruben, I know I've taken up a lot of your time, man, but um, it's always a, a a great conversation when I get to chat with you, and I'm, I'm glad you're willing to to hop on and share a little bit about you know uh, you your unique role and and background and skill set, and um, yeah, we definitely look forward to the next time we chat and um, and yeah thank you for coming on
1: man yeah thanks again for having me always love catching up with you aaron and for for anybody who's listening has the other questions or they should absolutely feel free to reach out to me anytime i'd be happy to do what i can to help right because we're, we're all on the same team when it comes to you know that team health and safety right Is that what we used to get around with that was real dorky yeah. that we'd say we're all team <laughs> health and safety right so there you go and i can i can vouch for
0: uh ruben's willingness to to collaborate and partner with just just about anyone that wants to um you know share some of the same values and initiatives that he has so um to any listener that would like to get in contact with ruben definitely let us know we'd love to get you in contact with them and uh for everyone that did tune in to appreciate you hopping on and as always hail to pit thank you